Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. China is back in the news at your local public school. Find out on today's show what you can do to reverse the impact of the CCP in the next generation. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, a lifelong homeschooling parent, author, and president of Chula Vista Christian University, a four-year university that centers on mentor-driven, Bible-based, debt-free higher education. Visit us at cvcu.us to see how we're taking back education for the next generation. If you're new to the show, we're in a season unpacking American education, so be sure to scroll back on my podcast for some tips on breaking free from the toxic traits of traditional education. Pastors, if you'd like to know more about how you can play a vital role in rescuing the outsourced generation, go to cvcu.us and click the Start an Academy tab. We can have your campus running in four weeks anywhere in the United States. Parents, we have all support for all ages with our preschool to high school church-based support classes, dynamic college degree programs, and our Start an Academy program. You can earn your bachelor's degree in political science, engineering, pre-medicine, psychology, education, business, communication, and a whole lot more. Get all the details at cvcu.us. Again, our classes start soon. You can apply right here and earn your degree debt-free without getting yoked to a woke government system. Well, China is back in the news at your neighborhood public school this week. According to a report by the Parents Defending Education called the Little Red Classroom, the Chinese Communist Party has been fostering relationships with American public schools through its Confucius Institute and Confucius Classroom Projects. The PDE has tracked affiliations in 143 schools across 34 states, including ties to school districts near 20 military bases. And big surprise, Where does that influence all track back to? A direct tie to America's university system, where Marxism and anti-American philosophies have been rotting away the root of our founding fathers' ideals, weakening the belief in faith, family, and freedom for the last three decades. Parents, there is a concerted effort to destroy your kids, to destroy our country. It is time for a public school exit from preschool to college. In their powerhouse book, The Coddling of the American Mind, lawyer Greg Lukanoff and Professor Jonathan Haidt write about their observations of what they call the great untruths that are being taught across college campuses, untruths that are harming students and setting them up for failure by teaching them to trust their feelings above facts, to avoid discomfort, to encase themselves in this proverbial bubble wrap that helps them avoid the wounds of the world. The authors saw this alarming trend happening happening in classrooms across America, where students were claiming that their mental health would be jeopardized if they were, quote, triggered or if they feel, quote, unsafe. Discomfort, as the authors put it, was being classified as a medical response. Students whined that they would be unable to function if they had to listen to certain topics, especially topics they personally disagreed with. Now, if that cultural crisis in itself did not clue us all in that something is terribly wrong with American traditional education, 
education. This next wave will flip the light on for everybody. Suddenly, college campuses were awash with safe spaces equipped with weapons of modern warfare, which include Play-Doh, puppies, coloring tables, and bubble rooms designed to help fragile 18-year-old students process the horrific trauma of hearing a different opinion. Herman Melville poetically reminds us in the book Moby Dick, Woe to him who pours oil on the waters when God has fanned them into a gale. Ideas have consequences, and consequences teach us life lessons. You know, 20 years of classroom teaching and conversations with parents, students, and administrators led me to the concept I unpacked in my book, Outsourced, How to Make a Snowflake. Let's talk first about a little background on the historicity of the keyword there, snowflake. Years before the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, hit the streets, former college president Dr. Everett Piper saw this blizzard coming, and he wrote the iconic letter that sent the word snowflake soaring to its now viral status. Piper's 2015 letter, entitled This is Not a Daycare, It's a University, tells the story of a student who felt victimized by a sermon at the university chapel because the speaker used the word divorce, and that word made the student feel terribly unsafe and uncomfortable. When the student complained to a dean, Piper called out the student as well as any other fragile snowflake students who might be tempted to bemoan the message, calling these students snowflakes and called them to account for their childishness, their self selfishness, their narcissism, their unwillingness to engage in authentic discourse, which was the foundation of early American education. Piper later told a reporter that we're not comfortable with the discomfort, he said. And as a culture, he said, we raised a generation that cherishes comfort more than freedom. It is not a surprise to see such immaturity and selfishness in students, he said, when we have been perpetuating immaturity and selfishness for decades. A generation that values comfort over freedom will never be free, he said. This pattern of rebellion that's bound up in the heart of mankind is evidence where we crave smooth talk instead of the truth, flattery instead of facts, the easy road instead of the rewarding journey. You know, Isaiah faced the same issue. He said, now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book. Isaiah 38, 8 through 11 says that it may be for a time to come as a witness forever, for they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us, listen, smooth things, prophesy illusions. <laughs> Isaiah's cultural distress, much like ours today, was fueled by a community of adults who didn't want to hear or speak what is right, who didn't want to face what is true, but people who preferred to live in a grand illusion. May the same not be said of us, mom and dad. Neil Postman, you know, he's one of my favorite authors, saw this love of comfort spiraling down the track like a bullet train. Postman wanted to persuade his readers that the content of our modern public discourses become what he called dangerous nonsense. He demonstrated the downward spiral of behavioral expectations where we get what he called sillier by the minute. As we listen to the conversations of the culture, whether that's the written word, whether that's speech, songs, or media speak, in social media, 
the gravity of Postman's words and Morse's words and Thoreau's words, these observations become painfully clear. The art of authentic conversation, of civil discourse, has literally been traded in for this shallow din of surface conversations that flit from subject to subject like a butterfly on a limb. There's no depth, there's no challenge, there's no exposition. Alternative viewpoints are banned. They're canceled. That's the popular word. This is such a striking contrast to the necessary developmental foundations of critical thinking. Our students are not going to learn resilience in Plato-filled safe spaces. They're not going to reach the peak of wisdom without exposure to the truth of God's word and even the historical documents of real struggles endured by real people. What is the collective effect of this dangerous nonsense? Well, for sure, people have lost the ability to engage in meaningful conversation. They've lost the ability to be sharpened or challenged by a thought that differs from their very own, even to agree to disagree. Civil discourse has died. Lukanoff and Haight link this steady decline and its roots to the American college system where students have been provided with these safe spaces to protect them from any thought that might, quote, trigger them. In other words, friends, the public system has baby-proofed the college. And as a result, children have failed to develop the self-discipline and the maturity that would have come from exposure to those trigger words, those phrases, those ideals, those dangers. Without these anchors, students will become snowflakes, not champions. You know, it's highly ironic that secular college and secondary programs accuse Christian education as being myopic. I hear this all the time. And, you know, one of the core courses for any solid Christian education program is a course called Apologetics. That's a course that exposes students to the many various worldviews that exist on the planet and teaches them how to think through them, how to understand them, how to, how to encourage them to think and see and process information. Students are taught not just what to think, but how to think. And they start to reason and wrestle with questions in their belief systems. They start to understand not only what they believe, but why they believe it. This is one of our foundational methodologies at Chula Vista Christian University. Our students are taught how to think, how to reason, how to distinguish between lies and truth. Our professors understand how to use the Socratic methodology that influences critical thinking, that asks those great questions that really help students not just to parrot back what somebody else thinks, says, or believes, but to think deeply and draw from their own resources of experience and scripture and the classroom texts that we read to be able to come to the conversation armed, as Neil Postman once put it, armed for the conversation. And many of our young people, unfortunately, have not had that opportunity. Lukanoff and Haight note that the coddling of the American mind has resulted in an absolute mayhem in colleges around the nation. When Dr. Piper first heard that his students claimed to be triggered by hearing words like divorce in chapel, he knew that writing was on the wall. And his Not a Daycare essay eventually grew into a book with the telling subtitle, The Dangerous Consequences of Abandoning Truth, because that's where we are. He and many other presidents have noted the rise of this dangerous din of nonsense as they watch the spiraling of the modern student. These mentalities should concern us not only for today's colleges, for today's college students, but for the trajectory of the next generation and the future of our nation, because colleges are not just teaching today's students, they're training tomorrow's workforce, the leaders, the culture shapers, the pace setters. We don't develop resilience by 
avoiding uncomfortable, painful topics. We don't become mature, civically engaged citizens by lying in a fetal position with our fingers and our ears to keep us from being exposed to trigger words, blocking our auditory receptors from perceiving anything unpleasant or contrary to our existing paradigm. Stoltz wrote in the book Adversity Quotient that repeated actions stemming from an internalized system of belief can lead to a creation of neural superhighways, what he calls, quote, habits only lanes in our neural network. This development is highly effective and beneficial for the task of learning a new skill, but it's also equally effective for learning a destructive habit, which is exactly what's happening in America's public school systems. What would happen if we took the 10 steps to resilience that Stoltz outlines, and I talk about in my book, Outsourced, and we stir them up in a pot with John Taylor Gatto's brilliant book, Dumbing Us Down, and we reverse engineer that list, we would see up close and personal the steps that schools are using right now to create a generation of snowflakes. Some of that even without the help of the CCP, a verifiable screw tape letters directory of anti-resistance. So stay with me here as we unpack that. The first step to make a snowflake, we have to limit children's sense of autonomy and control. This is achieved perfectly through the public school's use of controlling every single minute with a bell or a buzzer, requiring a raised hand for a teacher's permission from anything like getting a drink or going to the bathroom, like a prison regulating every second of the day. Hmm. Does your school line up with that with that uh with that definition? Number two, to make a snowflake, we have to continue to reduce students' sense of empathy by replacing it with cynicism or disconnect from humanity. Um, is your school doing that? Yes, absolutely. If it has the word public in it, the answer is yes. Number three, to make a snowflake, we have to keep the language oriented toward victimhood. Oh, sound familiar? So there's no opportunity to develop stress hardiness. We have to focus on things like critical race theory, which has been in play in public schools under different monikers for five decades, seriously. But it does an excellent job of creating victims by pitting people against each other in this bourgeoisie versus proletariat, victim versus oppressor mindset. And that goes a long way in reducing empathy, which was step number two. Number four, to make a snowflake, we have to keep students focused on petty disagreements and interpersonal conflicts, never allowing the Matthew 18 principle to be part of their daily dialogue. That way, they won't develop relational resilience. They'll never attach to anyone. And you know, social media is, a, is highly effective at, at pitting people against one another as well, but it's further exacerbated in these prison systems of the public school. Number five, to make a snowflake, we must keep their schoolwork from connecting to anything meaningful in the real world so that they won't possess any actual problem-solving skills. This will also limit their sense of autonomy and efficacy, which was step number one, to make a snowflake. Number six, to make a snowflake, we need to keep students segregated from what Yuri Bronfenbrenner called the adult world of work. So they have no idea to make important decisions. That's why we see all these hashtags, hashtag adulting, because it's such a, a foreign concept when students have been kept in age segregated peer groups for as many hours as possible each day. And that goes from school to church keeping them away from older students and parents who might call them out on their immaturity or who might model maturity and cause them to raise the mental ceiling of possibility over their lives. The seventh way to make a snowflake is to restrict students from establishing realistic goals and expectations, setting their ideals too high to be attainable and surrounding them with materialistic celebrities who will misrepresent realistic levels of success. Um, you know, you think about 
all the foundations of TikTok and where that came from and what's happening in TikTok in China versus what's being played on TikTok in America. Come on now, let's make, it's the making of a snowflake. To make a snowflake, number eight, we have to prevent students from learning from successes as well as failures. Now this can be done, done one of two ways. We can keep them from failing and clean up every mistake they make. Go back to Moby Dick. Woe to him who pours oil on the water when God has fanned them into a gale. Or we can keep them from learning from their successes. We have to train them to see success as accidental, not the result of hard work. Otherwise, they'll develop a sense of autonomy that will save them from the snowflake syndrome. The ninth way to make a snowflake is to twist the rules of resilience. That resilience comes from being a compassionate, contributing member of society. If we want to create a snowflake, we have to keep children segregated from meaningful work and civic engagement. Gosh, think about how much busy work is in the school system. Busy, busy, busy work. That means nothing. It's completely unrelated to anything meaningful in culture. They have to be made to feel that there's no rhyme, no reason to the political process and that their vote doesn't matter. You've seen the studies on Project Vote Smart. I've talked about it on the show before that one of the top reasons the youngest generation doesn't vote in elections is because they feel their voice doesn't matter. To make a snowflake, we have to shield children from correction. We've talked about that on the show, how how the public school allows children to run around and be little maniacs with no self-control. And then we wonder why they can't hold down a job when they graduate from school. And number 10, finally, to make a snowflake, we must never let the next generation know that resilient people live, quote, responsible lives based on a set of thoughtful values. Our earlier quote, the public school system has worked over time on this one since the introduction of the values clarification movement in 1964, which I wrote about extensively in uh, the Science of Social Influence book. If we remove values from the schools, if we pull up the moral anchors, if we add in a little interspersing of communism. We watch students become increasingly disenfranchised, depressed, purposeless drifters. We didn't reach these treacherous heights of statistical norms by accident. There's a reason that Gen Zs are the most anxious, depressed, atheist generation in the history of our nation. How did your local public school line up with the snowflake-making ideologies there? You know, this kind of screw-tape letter type analysis, it's very eye-opening because it helps us to see the public the public school's darkness that's being played out in that sector today. It helps us to see how we as parents sometimes unknowingly play into the hands of Wormwood. We look at the characteristics needed to develop resilience in children, and it can be a very sobering analysis because every single one of those 10 steps is undermined every single day by the public school system. Parents, if you want to raise a snowflake, just keep sending them off on the big yellow prison bus to the local government indoctrination center, which now has the added benefit of the the, the resilience, the anti-resilience training, um, not only from that list of 10, but from the sobering statement that we saw uh, earlier from the CCP influencing so many schools across the United States so directly with their Confucius systems. Press, shake, freeze, and voila, you'll have your very own snowflake. But 
Friends, if we want to raise a generation of champions, then we need to take an opposite approach to our modern anti-resistance methodology. We need to stop filling students' days with busy work when authentic education only takes two to three hours a day. We need to stop overcomplicating education when skills like arithmetic and reading only take a hundred hours to master. We need to give students a self of autonomy, control over their lives, instead of ruling over them with an electronic buzzer and a raised hand. We need to give them the opportunity to interact with people of all ages, not just age-segregated microcosms that keep them from learning mentorship and intergenerational communication. If we raise a generation of snowflakes, they will melt when trouble comes. If we raise a generation of champions, they will stand strong. They'll hold back the wave of darkness pressing so aggressively against the values of our nation. Parents, it is our responsibility to speak life and purpose, to inject courage and hope into the next generation. So let's say no to snowflake producing institutions. And let's say yes to training up resilient visionaries who will help turn our nation around. You know, our local answer to this global crisis in education is Chula Vista Christian University. Through our inquiry-based model, we founded two dozen academies across the United States, and we're literally watching the culture shift from preschool to college. We know that traditional education is broken beyond repair, and I'm calling on churches across the United States to be part of the solution. Pastors, you can go to drlisadun.com, D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com, and click the Start an Academy tab to jump into that rescue mission. Parents and grandparents, as you're considering your scholastic options for the coming year, there are so many choices available to you once you step off the big yellow prison bus. I've founded nine academies here in San Diego County alone. We have them all across the United States. Reach out. Let us help you help the next generation. CVCU is here to help you locally to break free from the system from preschool to college with three levels of support, preschool to high school church-based classes, college degree programs, and our Start an Academy program for pastors. You can join us for debt-free, faith-based support that's not yoked to a woke government system. Learn more at cvcu.us. If you're new to the show or homeschooling for the first time, you can catch all the episodes on my podcast. Just scroll back for tips of the trade. And don't forget to check out my latest book, Outsourced, Why America's Kids Need an Education Revolution. You can find that at cvcu.us on the homepage. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn. Thanks for joining us today on the show. And I'll be back next week with more of our toxic trait analysis and what you can do to break free from the system. See you then. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode, or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.